Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Penny Tremblay. We talk about remembering to focus on our own role in interpersonal conflict. What pushes our buttons may not push others. So let's look at our own buttons. Penny's book, Sandbox Strategies for the New Workplace, Conflict Resolution from the Inside Out, has an array of insights that can be applied both in the workplace and beyond. Hello, Penny, and thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am looking forward to talking with you about your book, and obviously we'll get to the details of that. But I do want to say that although the book is titled Sandbox Strategies for the New Workplace, it's more than that. And I encourage listeners who find that that's not exactly where they spend their time and energy to still stay with us and take advantage of, to my mind, maybe the most important part, which is the subtitle. Conflict Resolution from the Inside Out. Yes. Having said that, Penny, I will ask you to tell us a bit about how you came to be doing the work you're doing today and how you came to write the book. Okay. Well, long story short, I'm an entrepreneur for many decades. And over time, teaching adults professional development, I chose to pick a lane. And the lane that I picked is workplace relationships. And for my marketing, I had to get very clear on what problem that I solve. And so workplace conflict is the problem that I solve for workplace relationships. I teach people how to not avoid conflict, but how to mitigate conflict, how to be better communicators, how to prevent unnecessary conflict. And I wanted to have a lot of my experience and stories and wisdom recorded into a book so that I could use it as a handout piece or could use it at back of room and speaking engagements and conferences. And so I was fortunate enough during COVID to rewrite the manuscript Uh, uh, to be a little bit more relative to the post-pandemic world of conflict. And I love what you said about the fact that these skills go far beyond the workplace because where there's people, there's potential for conflict. And these strategies work no matter what situation that you're in. I agree thoroughly. And I enjoy speaking with authors who have looked at conflict from a slightly different perspective, because there are some things that almost everyone talks about, and that's fine. But then there are, well, heck, that's a little different sort of insights. And those are the most fun for me. Right. I recognize that your book is set out with a wonderful acronym, and I'll ask you to tell us that. And 
I would enjoy walking through some of it. And there are certain letters, I'll say, where okay. some of the insights sing out to me the most. But just tell us to start how you've set it out. So I set the book up with eight strategies where each one is representative of a letter in P-L-A-Y-N-I-C-E. And an interesting story in my book was once I already had my brand cemented, my logo and tagline and and a lot of material and, and assets, I did some research online and I found that there's another author out there with a book just like the one that I had intended to write. And I secretly ordered it on Amazon, hoping that he would never find out. (laughs) And when I received it, it was signed with a note personally by him. And it said, oh my goodness, Penny, I have looked you up and you have the business that I aspire to have one day how proud I am to be that you would want a copy of my book signed Ron Price. And I was so excited. And I guess, you know, he kind of called me out on my secret wanting to order (laughs) his book. And then I, I looked at his book and I realized that he too had the play nice acronym. And I called him up and I said, you know, Ron, what do you think about me doing the same thing? Cause that's what I was thinking, but I don't want to steal your idea. And he was silent for a minute. And then he said, well, of course, I would be fine with that. I mean, my immediate reaction was a little bit apprehensive. But Penny, wouldn't it be funny if two Play Nice in the Sandbox authors couldn't get along? (laughs) (laughs) True. And so he's been such a great support. Our acronyms are different. However, we have learned to collaborate and share information and share great activities and teaching points and examples and stories and so on. And he's one of the people who has inspired me. The eight sandbox strategies fall through this P-L-A-Y-N-I-C-E. Yeah. Because everybody understands that metaphor of playing nice. I think that's right. And I love how you describe a certain place in the book, what that does and doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you roll over and play dead and let people beat up yes. on you. That's not what it means. And I think that could be an easy misconception. But I do want to say, I remember that story and also the idea, and I think you attribute it to Jack Canfield of, well, yeah, amateurs compete and yes. the professionals collaborate. Right. Professionals collaborate. That's exactly right. Yes. yes. Fantastic. So let's talk about P. Just introduce what that is. And I'll then chime in with the part that I found particularly interesting. Okay. So P is position yourself for good play. And, you know, this is where some of the inside out approach comes into play. Because if you think about playing nice in the sandbox, when we were younger, we were facing each other, we were co-creating in the center of the box. And that's all nice and easy when things are nice and easy. But when the going gets tough, we tend to want to turn our backs and revert to our corner, or Mm. just pick up our toys and go home or throw sand or something other than positioning ourselves for good play. And, and so one of the most important things that we can do to position ourselves for good play is turn inward toward each other or toward the problem, look inward to recognize, is something bothering me? And why is it bothering me? And what might be underneath this bothering me? Another way to say that is, you know how sometimes people push your buttons? Well, 
that's because you have a button to push. And that's your responsibility and your inner work to do to really kind of look back in your life and think like, where did that button come from? Because often you see people in workplaces or families where somebody really pushes their buttons, but it doesn't push the next person's buttons or the next person's buttons. So this is what I mean. Like so much of conflict resolution is an inside job. We need to be willing to really excavate our own sand you know, excavate within our own selves and and our own lives to dig out those treasures, those great gifts that sometimes smell like cat turds, but they can be the greatest gifts because if you're really honest and vulnerable with yourself, you'll realize like, oh yeah, I am like that. You know, this is a pattern and and maybe it came from somewhere. Maybe it came from some early trauma. Maybe it just came from a movie I saw when I was six years old or something a teacher said to me or whatever. But but really, it's not true. It's a story. It's fiction. It just has stuck with us. So one of the things that I enjoyed about this chapter was the whole idea of our thoughts shaping our destiny. Yes. Our thoughts definitely shape our destiny. And we need to be on that like a detective because especially when we start to see patterns happening in our lives, we have to recognize the match between what we think and what's really happening. Yes, not always the same. And that's in peaceful relationships or not. One of the things that I'm learning from Dr. Joe Dispenza who is my um, spiritual guru at this era of my life, he's teaching me through the listening and learning I'm reading that I'm doing is that we become addicted to the chemicals that our brain releases when we get into crisis mode. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know how sometimes you're fighting in your own head, creating conflict with a person who you're upset with, and it's not even real, but you're just thinking about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And you repeatedly do that day in and day out. Well, we get addicted to the chemicals that our brain creates from those thoughts. And so it's almost like it's our fix. And if Mm -hmm. you think about maybe some relationships or friends that you have that when you get together with them, there's a, there's a period of time where you're like, Oh yeah. And then, you know, then this gossip or this bad thing, or yeah, you know, that bad thing that happened 15 years ago. Well, here's my take on it today. And because how you and that person have connected, yeah. And it becomes habitual. Right. And so we can get out of those patterns by changing our thinking and choosing the next highest, best thought about something. Yeah. You might be hearing boats go by and, and sea dews and whatnot, because I'm sitting out, outside at my beautiful new place on the lake in beautiful North Bay, Ontario, where I live half my life here. And the reason I bring that up is around the theme about thoughts become things because seven months, maybe eight months ago, I thought, surely there's somebody who lives on the lake I want to live on, who has a beautiful walkout basement apartment that they wouldn't mind renting to a a mature tenant like myself, who's hardly ever home because she travels so much for work and business and lives half her life in Rhode Island. And Surely the place has floor-to-ceiling windows and is really close to town. And surely these people want to have, you know, even just a small amount of rent coming in for the right person. I created that in my mind. I told a few people. I wrote it down. And I'm sitting in that place right now talking to you. 
-hmm. and it's only been eight months. And like, so our thoughts are so powerful. We don't understand the fact that we are creating our future by the way we're thinking. To my mind, sort of a segue into the L of lightening your load, making space for new tools and new ways of thinking. Because we all pack around baggage. We, we bring with us wherever we go, the baggage, or I call it the suitcase full of stuff and connections and, and past emotions and whatnot. And as humans, we're very intuitive people. And we can tell what people are packing around, whether they tell us or not. Yeah. You know, maybe not in the specific details, but a spiritual teacher told me one day, you know, when you show up on stage, Penny, you're bringing your past and your attachment to it, like big suitcases wherever you go. And I really got thinking about that, recognizing like, holy smokes, if that's the case, then I'm committed to unpacking this suitcase and digging and finding out what's in there, because I certainly didn't intentionally pack a suitcase. But over time, as I have unpacked some of the things in my suitcase, I have found inner peace, I've positioned myself for good play, because I've rid myself of some of my old Mm -hmm. limiting beliefs or some of my old conflicts that that had not been resolved by resolving them. And then it just made more space in my suitcase, my, you know, metaphorical suitcase for other things for more blank space to maybe tackle the bigger challenges Mm -hmm. or to have new tools. And so I think that everybody wants to be a little lighter right? And if that means in stuff, in burdens, in, in physical weight, and so on. And I think that we really want to be very aware of what we're packing around and why, right? And where it comes from and how easy, because as you know, being an expert in conflict resolution yourself, often conflict can be resolved in one conversation. It can, it can. What I find fun is the segue then from the idea of lightening the load, to allow space for new tools, to the whole idea of actively listening, which lots of people have spoken about. And, and that's good. It's, it's important. But what I, I liked in part was thinking to yourself, why is this conflict worth tackling? Why am yes. I doing this? Mm-hmm. It allows me to be a better listener if I understand why it is worth the effort to me to deal with this. Yeah. I think it's very helpful. And I loved your, your, I loved your six minute podcast about having very little to say, um, because it was about listening and it was so succinct and perfect. And you were walking your talk by not having a long podcast about having such little to say, but the, the magic, the magic that people really need to understand is that when somebody feels understood because you've listened and you've told them what you heard them say, they don't have to keep repeating it over and over again or speak louder and louder because they know that you've heard them. And so they actually move to a higher energetic vibration. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. If they'll only do the same for you, then that's a double bonus because then you get to move to that same place. But listening to somebody and restating what you've heard doesn't mean you agree with them. No. You don't have to say, I hear you and I completely agree. No. I think that's essential, Penny. Absolutely essential. Right. You can say, I hear you. I heard what you said. Yeah. yeah. I respect you. I respect your your perception. I understand that you see it this way. Yeah. And I think that the fake agreement is worse than none. 
that if I pretend I agree with you, and then I take a step a minute later that shows I don't, Mm -hmm. what could be worse? That's a a wonderful way to show I don't respect you at all. If I pretend to agree, and then I act in the opposite direction, that's that's not right. But I think that you touched on one important thing, which is when I am able to show my best to the other person, they may or may not be able to show their best to me, but it does lift me up a little bit. And this is getting me to the why. Yield to your why. Ground yourself in purpose. We often need a strong grounding to get through these sandstorms. Mm -hmm. So as conflict resolution experts, it's easier to help other people through their conflicts than it is for us to move through our own conflicts, right? Absolutely. A physician, heal thyself, the whole, (laughs) there it is. Uh, Don't be your own client as a lawyer, all of those things, sure. Yeah, because you're emotionally attached, right? That's why physicians don't operate on their own family members and so on. And so if you're in conflict and you need to have that little extra push to move toward a resolution or to approach a conversation with somebody who you could care less ever speak to as long as you live. It's that grounding in a why that's bigger than yourself. You know, maybe it's your, maybe it's your God or your spiritual power. Maybe it's your children or the legacy of your family. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's the, the mandate and mission of your company that is bigger than you. And so it just helps you let go of the smaller things because you're grounding yourself in something way bigger than you. Sometimes I'll ask people when they're in conflict at work, okay, so we are in a great environment for finding a different job. What holds you here? Right. Yes. And they'll say, well, I only have like 10 years left to retirement with a full pension. Oh, okay. So it's the pension. You know, is that your big why? And in some cases it is, and who am I to judge? But then I'll also go on to say, wow, then staying in the conflict or staying in this toxicity and not changing for another 10 years of it so that you can retire with a pension is pretty hefty price tag to pay. That's a long time, yes. That's a long time. But the clarity, if nothing else, the clarity for a person to recognize this is the choice I'm making. Yes. People have to understand the cost. People have to understand the cost of conflict because no matter if it's a family conflict, a workplace conflict, the cost to the organization is one thing, but the cost to you as an individual and the stress. Yeah. In fact, I heard a story the other day. Uh, my fiance was golfing with a gentleman who's a um, multimillionaire, and he said that he and his brother had a falling out over a business deal, oh, and his brother yeah. took him for a million dollars, and he was really resentful for a couple of years. And then he realized that his resentment wasn't worth a million dollars Good, and he yep. let it go. Yep, absolutely. So leads me to the next idea, which is the relationships. Do they matter? Sometimes you can't stay with them because they're not healthy for you. That's right. But the ones that are worth it, the end of nurturing relationships, because in the workplace, and I think in families and in, in the PTA and your neighborhood, everywhere else, people who feel valued perform well. And all it takes is verbalizing your gratitude and appreciation and compliments. And we just don't do this enough. When I ask an audience, 
you know, how does it feel to give compliments? Everyone says good. And I say, how does it feel to receive compliments? And most people say good. And I say, so if it feels so good to give and it feels so good to receive compliments, why don't we do it more often? Absolutely. And then the room goes silent because there's never an answer. <laughs> there's no good reason for that. There's no good reason. Absolutely. The reason is because we get too busy and we have this expectation of perfection or we have this expectation that things are going to run smoothly, safely, and efficiently. And when they don't, we squawk. But when they do, we don't verbalize that. We take it for granted a bit. And I think related to that is this idea that you have an eye of including everyone. This is sort of a team effort. Always. Everyone wants to feel a part of the whole. I want you to compliment me. I want to compliment you. Let's pull together instead of, oh, well, I just told you that's the way it's going to be gave credit to someone else and not to you. These are pretty basic things, but we seem to forget them. Right. And we live in a very multicultural and multi-generational and there's multi-genders. There's multi-lots of things. When it comes to inclusivity, this is a really big topic in human resources oh, these yes. days, you know, yes. diversity, equity, and mm-hmm. inclusion. But one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize when it comes to inclusion, is that when there's conflict, the best way to talk about it is by including everyone who's involved. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I have a problem with my sister, which I don't have a sister, so I never have a problem with my sister, but just, you know, I know your, I know your focus is in families. If I have a problem with my sister, I shouldn't be talking to anybody but my sister exactly. about it. Yep. Include the person that you're having the difficulty with. Yeah. If you don't really feel comfortable going to your sister and you go to your mother or father, the best thing for your mother or father to do is to sit you and your sister down and include everyone and say, yeah. hey, can we have a conversation about this? Yeah. And that's a really great uh, tip for managers in the workplace, because most managers will try and go and resolve conflict on behalf of a worker who doesn't feel equipped or safe to go and speak to a colleague directly, but they can't do their speaking and listening for them. Right. And so it rarely ever works out. You need to include everyone. I agree. And I think this is part of the overall idea of some people would like to ignore conflict. It's just going to go away. Or if I try to grapple with it, it'll get worse. But I love your C, which is challenge conflict. Healthy teams learn to embrace it. That's just part of life. You have to deal with it. Don't be an ostrich. I love it. Exactly right. <laughs> you stick your head in the sand and just hope it's all going to blow it's over. But it never does. <laughs> and then the, finally, the idea of empathy. Empathizing. Yes. Balancing people's personal needs and business needs, which can be personal needs and family needs, can be efficiency, can be all the other things, speed, ease, that we can value over the person sometimes, not to our long-term benefit. Yeah. Jack Canfield uh, taught me that people do the best they can with what they know. Mm -hmm. Back to when we were talking about listening and I said, The other person might listen to you as well, but they might not. And so the more professionally developed, the more spiritually mature we become as adults, the more tolerant we have to be with the lack of maturity or lack of development of other people. Yeah. 
And that's a big part of empathy, you know, recognizing that we are where we are and they are where they are. And that's okay. One of the things that I've learned to do is rather than judging, saying to myself, it's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's not black or white. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely on point and a wonderful place for us to take a pause and say, we've only hit the surface of this. And I think it's very interesting that your purpose with your book was branding, marketing, building your business. But those of us who get to just read the book without attending anything else benefit a great deal. I'm so glad to hear that. And I know you've read the book because if you read the story about Ron Price, that's in the final chapter (laughs) about empathy, talking about forgiveness. And I am so happy to hear you say that as a standalone, that that it goes deep enough and that it's not just about workplace conflict. It's about conflict resolution. It's a playful approach to conflict resolution. Which is in itself a wonderful thing because it's so easy to demonize it and say, oh my goodness, everything will be a disaster, which is certainly not my perspective on it all. So Penny, tell us where people can learn more about the book, learn more about your work okay, and just get in touch. Well, my website is Penny Tremblay, and I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. I will, of course. P-E-N-N-Y-T-R-E-M-B-L-A-Y.com. I have a link on my website called Books. The two books I've written are there. You know, you can find the book Sandbox Strategies on your, at your favorite bookstore or online service. And in my work, I do mediation. I actually have put together the sandbox system, which is a playful approach to conflict resolution. So step one is resolving any conflict. If there's any conflict in a work team, I want to resolve that first before we move into step two, which is training. And um, I've got training programs for the whole staff. I've got training programs um, for managers and supervisors. And I've got one designed specifically for mental health, high popular demand during the pandemic. And step three is planning. Working with people in business, I understand the importance of planning and things like role clarity um, and how strong leaders need to have good plans laid so that everybody knows, you know, the bigger picture. And then the last step of everything is accountability. So that's the sandbox system. And it's all available on my website, which is my mothership of driving traffic. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. And um, but I, I, I'm really very honored to be a podcast guest of yours, Jane. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you and I'm having a grand time picturing you on your lake. And what's great about podcast episodes is People can listen at any time. So someone might know. come upon this on a very dreary day in a very cold climate and say, oh, well, that's pretty fine. So yes, thank you for joining me, <laughs> taking some oh. time to share your venue and your thoughts with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'll keep, continue listening to your very great podcast. I, I love the short and very poignant episodes that you have. So thank you for doing what you do. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please tell a friend, share it, leave a rating or review. When you spread the word, more people have a chance to enjoy the show.
You can also sign up for new weekly episodes on your favorite app, whatever setting works best for you, and it's free. You don't need to pay to listen. You can also find the show at CraftingSolutionsToConflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Vettel.